Welcome to the Word Search Podcast with Bible teacher and author Rob Price. Each topic and series on Word Search is designed to encourage your personal journey into the treasures and truths inside the scriptures. Word Search is produced by RP Media, a leader in faith-based podcasts. Welcome to Lesson 5 of Maturing into Childhood. This one's titled, Bye-Bye Burdens, the Carefree Child. And today we're going to explore the beauty of living in 100% complete trust in God the Father, our Abba, and raise the question whether we can worry ourselves into growth. This study will examine the possibility that all of our perceived needs in life are simply the shadow of our Father's coming supply. So 13 chapters before our theme verse, which is, of course, Matthew 18, 1 through 5, Jesus' most famous message is called the Sermon on the Mount, where he began with a series of statements called the Beatitudes. But a closer look at this passage tells me there was an overarching theme that he was trying to communicate. He was trying to correct their thinking. And sometimes it just takes two words to do that. Here's the two words. Do not. So before we go back to Matthew 5 and 6, let's go again to Matthew 18, which is our theme verse, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. So again, we've been talking about living with a childlike spirit, not being childish, but walking through life, can we say this even playing through life with a childlike mentality, and how Jesus is the ultimate uh, 30-something eccentric child who just totally trusted in Abba, his father, to take care of all of his needs. So let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and, and let's take a look at one of the do-nots, which is do not worry. This is found in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, our Abba, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? I could go on. He says a few more things about that, but that kind of makes the point here, is that worrying is a direct violation of one of the commands of Jesus. Think about what I just said. Worrying is basically a sin. So let's dig into this word worry more and see exactly what it means. Worry in the Greek is M-E-R-I-M-N-A-I-O. It's pronounced I think, mer- merimneo, not sure, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it means anxious, distracted, to be drawn in opposite directions, to be pulled apart into pieces like the force exerted by, catch this, by sinful anxiety. That's what the Greek word means, worry. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? or a single cubit to his height. Can we worry ourselves into a longer life, or longer legs for that matter? Of course not. Jesus is making his listeners consider just how utterly foolish 
it is to actually engage in the mental gymnastics that's required to worry. So the problem here is we all do worry. So why do we? Well, the problem is a lack of trust in the Father's knowledge and ability to provide. The solution here is then to seek the Father's kingdom and his righteousness. The word seek in the Greek is zetio. It means to desire and inquire, to get to the bottom of the matter. Righteousness in the Greek means justice, justification, the approval of God, and what's deemed right by the Lord after his examination. So to translate that, we need to get to the bottom of the matter of the fact that God the Father is looking to approve of you by examining your heart of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, by approval, I don't mean whether you are going to heaven or hell. Of course, he loves you, but he's looking to see where your faith is. There are levels of faith and levels of growth in the kingdom of God. The Bible does say without faith, it is impossible to please him. A child who knows that he is loved has no reference point to even engage in worry about tomorrow. For you see, the child mind is uncluttered and free. Life is rather quite simple. Eat, drink, play, bathe, hopefully, sleep, repeat. I mean, give a child a peanut butter jelly sandwich, a, a juice box, and a sandbox, and they're happy for hours. Now, if I can affect tomorrow by something I do today, well, then sure, I will. But if I can't, then it's hands off. It's Abba's business, and that's his problem. I mean, I carry insurance, and so should you. You should fill up your gas tank when you reach about a quarter tank left. I mean, there's some common sense things here, but of course, you could save a few bucks by buying a few items in bulk at Costco if you have a large family. I mean, you should live a common sense life, right? But in the midst of it all, friends, no worrying. Out with it. In fact, the old King James Version says, take no thought. I love that. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus is speaking to us as an experienced child of Abba, and he learned this behavior himself. In this sermon here, he's getting down to the nitty-gritty details, the daily details of our lives. So let's, let's leave Sunday morning for a moment. Let's leave Wednesday nights, and let's get to Monday at 8 a.m., or Thursday at noon, or Friday at 6. Let's get to the details of the hierarchy of needs as a human being, sustenance and safety, right? So let's get into our kitchens and our closets Jesus is telling us that our Abba knows. He is the supply. Do we really believe that God is our Abba? Are we really aware that we are his children and we have a covenant right to his supply? Is Christianity trying to perform an impossible spiritual gymnastics routine for a holy judge? Or is it simply allowing a loving Abba to coach us and care for us through the various twists and turns that life will bring? Jesus personifies tomorrow by saying it can do the worrying all by itself. This is a trick, a, a word play by Jesus, if you will, because tomorrow never gets to us in the now moment where we're instructed to live. It's the constant carrot stick of time ahead of us. So he's saying that basically life on earth is an endless upkeep. It's like the mail. It never stops coming into the post office. This is where we get the term going postal, right? from when postal workers just snap to pieces. They worry because they feel like they can never catch up, never catch up, or never get ahead. My wife and I, Sharon, call this maintenance. It's just constant maintenance of life. Raising four children was not glamorous. It was maintenance. It had its ups and downs, its moments of fun and joy and satisfaction. But for the most part, life is repetitive. It's routine. And it's in those things, those strings of regular moments that we see and we seek God 
the Father, and His righteousness to be present with us in the midst of our daily routines. Because you see, I believe needs are really just disguised opportunities. Look at needs as something that is supposed to trigger something inside of us. We discover the reality of God as our Father in the dark clouds of perceived lack. When we perceive lack, watch yourself. Examine your thoughts. The problems in our lives are really just the shadow of His presence. That is when faith really, really happens. Now we can really see our lives produce glory for Him. Because the presence of a need, watch this now, it showcases Abba Father as our supplier. Here comes God's supply to you. But as it comes, it casts a shadow on your life for a season. So when you have a problem, begin to understand, and I'll hammer it home again. It's just the shadow of the supply that's on the way. You know, Philippians 4, the very familiar verse. God shall supply all our needs according to his riches, his abundance, his riches in glory. Notice this verse says that you will have them. You will have needs. Let's take you back to the Red Sea with the Israelites about to cross. They had a big need. They needed the provision of something solid to walk on. Well, that was under the water. There were no bridges to walk on, but no problem. God just needed to remove the water out of the way, and he did. The supply was already there. It existed already before the need. In fact, the Bible says Jesus said, Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask. This all does not make any sense to the wise and intelligent of the world. You have to be a child of Abba to understand what Jesus is talking about here. In Luke 9, verse 13 through 16, we see the feeding of the 5,000. He said, he replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for this whole crowd. The Bible has a parenthesis. It says about 5,000 men were there. But he, Jesus, said to the disciples, well, have them sit down in groups of 50. The disciples then did so. And everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. He knew the supply was coming. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples actually picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I think one for each of the disciples. In Luke's account, we dive into the child mind of Jesus when he said, you give them something to eat, right? Jesus never denied the problem. He never saw a problem as being the final state of things. It's just a necessary part of a bigger story. We actually, again, need this problem to showcase God's power and his glory and his love. So Jesus sees an opportunity to teach them something amazing. So again, in Luke's account, Jesus has them sit in groups of 50 like we just saw. Why did he do that? So that people could all see the miraculous provision of God the Father in front of them. How many of us have been to these family reunions where there was about 30 to 50 people there? You could easily see all the food available for everyone. If they were just told to stay where they were in a large, massive, random formation of people scattered along the hillside, only a few people at the beginning of the line would have seen and witnessed the miracle about to happen. And so again, what was Jesus' response in the passage? He simply gave thanks. He didn't give thought. He gave thanks, not thought. How fun could that be this week? What if we all try this week when we encounter a problem, some kind of lack or perceived need, why don't we just give it wild thanks and not give it worrisome thoughts? We just might see the supply never run out. 
Now, who is the one New Testament character that is perhaps known as the best worrier, the most stressed out person close to Jesus? Think about it. Has it come to you yet? It's Martha. And go to Luke 10 and verse 38 through 42. We're going to see what I call the sister-sibling squabble. This is the home of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. So it's as if Martha is trying to make a good first impression. And the custom in that culture was for the women and the children to do the food and the household prep. So let's read the passage. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what's better. And it will not be taken from her. It's a very soft and gentle scold. And I hope Martha, and I assume she did, kind of got the message in that moment. To remove worrying from her mind. Mary's diversion from what she was supposed to be doing is what triggered Martha's distraction. And the word distracted is perispeo in Greek, and it means to be greatly troubled. To drag and draw all around, to be overoccupied. And notice, though, this overoccupation was actually with serving others. So we can worry ourselves into a wreck by serving other people. Yes, I just said that. Sometimes we do too much. We don't just stop and chill. A lot of these young pastors today call it chillax, chill and relax. The word preparations in the Greek is diakonia, and it means service. It's the root word for ministry service done with a willing heart. So Martha whines and belly aches and complains to Jesus about Mary's insensitivities to service when in fact it's Mary's sensitivities to the presence of Jesus is what actually commends her to Jesus. So Martha is wrong on two accounts. She should have joined Mary in just hanging out with Jesus. And she should have not been so greatly troubled and stressed out by the service she was doing alone. So Jesus identifies two troubling reactions from Martha. She's worried and she's upset, right? It's thorobeo in Greek, and it means to disturb greatly, to terrify, to strike with panic, and to show an agitation of the mind. Wow. To make a turbulent noise. Basically, it's an internal hurricane or tornado when you're just upset. And this is the teaching moment for Martha, when she's told only a few things are really needed in life. And Mary's chosen one of them, which is basically to hang out with me. You see, friends, Mary's priorities were in order. Eventually, it would have been time to eat, of course, and she would have assisted Martha. A meal was going to be prepared, and Jesus' belly would be full. But Mary discerned that Jesus had his own bread to feed her first. What a great way to look at ministry. Get fed from the presence of Jesus first before trying to feed others. So let's look at why we worry. Where does it come from? Well, it all began in the Garden of Eden. A lot of things do that go wrong with the human race. In fact, every problem we've ever encountered can probably be traced back to the Garden. Adam and Eve believed the lie that they could be God. When they did that, they, can I say this, they attached their faith to the false word of the Satan. This, of course, ended up being a complete ruse, and so it produced great anxiety and fear. 
that it's the first recorded words of man were, I was afraid. So we, you and I, were born into this vicious lie, and we are naturally inclined to test it out ourselves. We're all like the dumb kid in the Christmas story movie. Remember the guy who licked the the frozen uh, telephone pole? Even when we become born-again believers, we all still struggle with the lie that we can do it ourselves. We publicly voice confidence that we are responsible to handle the worry that accompanies our problems. You know, I can handle life. I got this. My thinking brain can solve this. I'm in control. I will figure this out. So some of us are just compelled to carry burdens, our own or even somebody else's. Now, to have no anxiety about life's troubles can feel like to perhaps ourself and from other people's perspective, like we don't care. You ask me to stop worrying, I, well, I feel guilty. I mean, I need to be stressed about something. If not, I'm not suffering enough for the cause of Christ. Friends, that's absolute rubbish. Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, there it is again, present your request to God. And the peace, the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But instead, sometimes we privately imagine the worst possible scenario of what could happen with our problems. And this type of worrying is toxic, and it can actually have psychological backwash into our bodies, ulcers, headaches, muscles tighten up, releasing of acid that causes stomach pain. Fear, then, is really just another form of faith because fear is actually faith in the lack of supply. You're connecting your faith to something. It's just another form of it. It's the the antithesis, the opposite. Fear is faith in the enemy's word or mental images. Fear is faith that the problem will swallow me up. But 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, perfect love casts out fear. Now, the Greek word for cast out is amazing. It's a very violent word. It means to grab someone by the back of the neck or the nape of the neck and hurl them out the door. It casts out fear. Perfect, full-grown, mature love. Knowing who you are as a child of Abba, it produces a violent release a casting out of all fear. And with that, we can say bye-bye to burdens and we can live life as a carefree child of Abba. Let us wrap up this lesson, Bye-Bye Burdens, a Carefree Child, from our series, Maturing into Childhood, How to Be Great in God's Kingdom. We'll wrap up this whole series with one more, lesson six, which we're calling The Priestly Blessing, the only prayer recorded by God for His people. It's an amazing one. From Numbers chapter 6, we'll catch that next time right here on Word Search.